0: And you can have a large church that's unhealthy. It just becomes a crowd. And you can have a small church that is unhealthy too. Uh, Smallness doesn't guarantee health. So what I want to do tonight is talk to you about healthy church. Healthy church. And if you've got a Bible, um, I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. How many of you got Bibles? Just hold up a Bible if you've got it. Very good. And some of you got it on your phone because you're uber cool and all of that. So that's good. Acts chapter 11. And I want to share with you this evening about the, the hallmarks of healthy church. Healthy church. And uh, this is the church in Antioch, Acts chapter 9 and verse 19. And it says this. Excuse me, Acts 11, 19. Now those who've been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, Telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. The news of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Um, Over the last 41 years of being in ministry, I've been to a lot of Christian Gatherings. Uh, when I was um, working with Spring Harvest at its peak, we would do Spring Harvest four times over. And um, it, it was um, amazing and wonderful and a real privilege. But I think I've got a bit of a naughty streak um, because I quite like to hear those stories and when things go wrong in church. I know it's a bit naughty of me, but I quite in, enjoy that. Like, Uh, the church that I heard of where they had the radio mics. And those radio mics can be good, but it's dangerous if you forget that you're wearing one. And uh, the minister did um, a wedding, uh, but he counselling, the premarital counselling. He wasn't very convinced that this couple should get married. And so he performed the wedding, and his associate and he were proceeding down the aisle after the bride and groom packed church, and he forgot that he had his radio mic on. And he turned to his colleague and said, I'll give this one six months. (laughs) To which point the whole congregation responded just much, pretty much exactly as you did. Things go wrong in church. I think my favourite go wrong in church story happened with a worship leader who was a bit pushy. Have you ever been to a worship gathering uh, quite unlike what we've experienced here today? Where the worship leader is not just encouraging, they're really aggressive and pushy and it's raise your hands, clap your hands, dance now, you know, we're free in the spirit here, you know, that kind of dialogue, and this uh, rather large worship leader gentleman was leading worship and getting a bit frustrated with the congregation, and he said, everyone raise your hands right now, and everybody did, and as he did, rather gloriously, his belt buckle exploded, (laughs) and his trousers fell down. All the way revealing a voluminous pair of boxer shorts apparently manufactured by Mr. Walt Disney. Because <laughs> Mickey and Minnie were running all over his shorts rather spookily with their hands raised. It was really really rather strange. It got even stranger because he leaned rather breathlessly into the microphone and said, it's amazing what the devil will do when you're trying to lead worship. <laughs> New forms of spiritual warfare, ladies and gentlemen. Gentlemen, check your belts right now, (laughs) please. I quite like it. It's a bit naughty of me when things go a little bit wrong. One day, uh, some 30 years ago, at Timberline Church in Colorado, where Kay and I are based, things went very right, and no one was expecting it. The church back then was uh, about 170 people. Uh, Everybody knew each other. Uh, They knew each other's children's name. It was a happy family church of like-minded people. And um, Nikki showed up. Nikki was a bright, beautiful law student um, and she was paying her college fees by working as a stripper in a local strip club. And um, uh, her hairdresser, Larry, Larry is still in our church. He's a hairdresser and he's an amazing evangelist hairdressing and evangelism go together quite well because you've got a captive audience and you're armed. So <laughs> it really does go rather well. So uh, Larry invited Nikki to come to our church and she came one Sunday morning and if I can put it discreetly, she didn't come dressed for church, if you get my drift. She's working as a stripper. So she came along and It caused quite a stir in our church when she arrived and she went up into the balcony and didn't like that so she came and sat on the front row and at the end of the service she gave her life to Christ. That was the start of everything. About three or four days later our senior minister Darren Northrup received a phone call from her. She said, "Uh, hi my name's Nikki. I'm a stripper and he he was a bit surprised he doesn't get that many phone calls from strippers. (laughs) And uh, she said, "I, I came along to your church Sunday, I gave my life to Jesus and I've read the New Testament. He said, which bit? She said, the whole thing. In three or four days she read the entire New Testament. And she said, I don't think Jesus wants me to be a stripper, does he? And Darry said, well there is a certain incompatibility between Christian discipleship and doing that as a living. And she said, right, I'll give it up then so she went to the club and very tearfully because these people were her community and they were very kind and lovely and she sat down with everybody that worked at the strip club and she said I have to resign I'm following Jesus now but she invited all of them to come to her baptism the night of her baptism 19 of them showed up dressed for work imagine that The bouncers, big, huge guys, they had donkey jackets on with the fluorescent name of the strip club on the back. And the ladies, if I may say, uh, it wasn't that they were wearing something quite different. They just weren't wearing very much. And they came down the centre aisle. And as they came down the centre aisle, some of our people were extremely concerned. Some of our ladies actually covering their husband's eyes. (laughs) 30 men joined the greeting team the following week. (laughs) Just kidding. 11 of them came to Christ that night. It was amazing. It was fantastic. And it was a mess. Because they didn't know that you weren't supposed to light up a cigarette at the beginning of the sermon. Or even, by the way, in the middle, in case you were wondering. And they didn't know that it wasn't a good idea to swear when you're giving your testimony. It was a beautiful, beautiful mess. It was a surprise from God as unexpected people began flooding into the kingdom. And all these years later, there's, around, there's an orbit of around 10,000 people in the church and on a Sunday, it's around 5,000. But that's not, really, that's not really important and don't be impressed by that because our question is not how big, but how healthy. How healthy. And that's why tonight... Um, I want to look at a healthy church. 2,000 years ago in the city of Antioch, suddenly a complete surprise from God. People are unexpectedly flooding into the kingdom. Antioch, uh, the third largest city in the Roman Empire with half a million people, a beautiful city. It was known as Antioch the Golden with a main street four miles long, uh, paved with marble, a busy port. A cosmopolitan city uh, with pagan worship. Antioch was the New York City of the day. But it's there that we discover a healthy church. A healthy church. Now before I continue with this, you might be thinking, why are you talking to us about this? Surely this is leadership conference stuff. And that, that perception is entirely wrong. You see, when we think that it's only up to our pastors and leaders to help cooperate with God, to create a healthy church culture. We've completely got it wrong. I want to say to us tonight that we are all of us architects of a healthy church culture. When Kay and I started church planting, um, I I was 19, 20 when we started planting a church and I became the first full-time pastor of that church. And I remember we, we had a lady and she came to me and she said, um, she said, this church isn't loving enough. And I said, well, you're, you're, you're probably right. Yeah. I said, what do you want me to do about it? She said, well, sort it out. You're the pastor, sort it out. It's not loving enough. And I thought, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to get everyone to bow their heads and I'll distribute Lucas's secret lovey-dovey dust? over the congregation, and we'll all wake up and start hugging each other and being nicer. The truth is, ladies and gentlemen, that leadership leads the way, but healthy church culture is created by all of us. This is not just leadership stuff, it's all of us stuff, if I can put it in that way. So what can we learn from uh, this church, this healthy church in Antioch? First of all, I want to say this, a healthy church believes in church. A healthy church believes in church. Barnabas and Saul met with the church, it says in Acts eleven twenty-five. Now in the church at Antioch, uh, Acts 13, it was a church. It was the first great church among the Gentiles. It was the first world apostolic mission sending church. And if I want to just put it like this, I think we need to rediscover the value and the privilege of being part of the church. Um, when I became a Christian, we were Kay and I, we were in church like five times a week. We were so busy talking about winning the world that we never had any chance of winning the world. And now they say that the average church attendance in America amongst committed Christians is one and a half times a month. We were five times a week and now it seems like we have lost the value of church. And we're now living in an individualised culture, aren't we? Where, where it's a selfie culture. It's all about me. Uh, do you remember the good old days, ladies and gentlemen, when you could go into a coffee shop and ordering a cup of coffee was really easy? You'd just say something like this, Can I have a cup of coffee? <laughs> now, you have to have a PhD in caffeine and a working knowledge of Italian in order... <laughs> to actually order a cup of coffee because everything is now individualized. You can have it your way. We're obsessed with the individual. And you know, that individualism, we read into the way that we look at the Bible. Let me give an example. One of the problems with reading the New Testament in English is the word you, the second person singular, and the word you, the second person plural, is the same word, you, you. So when we read it in the English, we read individual. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I immediately think me, myself. Whereas there is a corporate dimension to that that we are entirely missing. God has always been about the business of building a gathered community, a family. Philip Yancey, in his brilliant book, Vanishing Grace... He says, if you want to summarise the message of the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation, if you want to summarise it in one sentence, it goes like this. God gets his family back. God gets his family back. And I believe that we need to rediscover um, the value of church. Uh, This afternoon, I shared with you about how I came to Jesus. And uh, do you remember this story? I'm sitting in the little room at the back alongside the dripping baptismal waders, still slightly damp, uh, together with my friend, we knelt on the floor, two of us 17-year-olds, and um, we invited Christ to come into our lives, and I left it there. But there's a postscript to that story. You see, they'd had the evening service, and they'd had the afterglow, and by now it's about 9 o'clock at night, but word had got around that two lads were becoming Christians. It was like, We have pagans in the house. (laughs) And word had got round that this was happening. So do you know what they did? They all waited behind to welcome us. And I opened the door of the vestry, as I now discover it was called, expecting to find an empty building. But as I opened the door, my friend and I, a big cheer went up. And they formed a big queue that went all the way to the back of the church building. And my friend and I had to walk down that line of people getting handshakes and Christian hugs, three pats to the left. <laughs> it freaked me out. I felt like Prince Charles without the ears. It was amazing. In fact, I met Kay in that queue, in that line. So I, got, I met Jesus and Kay... The same day. It was a pretty good day. She actually fancied my friend. <laughs> but I, I'm over that now, Philip. I, I, I'm, I'm over that. I'm over that now. No, I really am. But here's my point. I had bumped into the privilege of being part of the church. A survey was taken. They said to people, what, what sentence do you most love to hear? What sentence do you Most love to have said to you. And predictably the number one favourite sentence was, I love you. The second favourite sentence was, I forgive you. And the third favourite sentence was, supper's ready. (laughs) Think about it. That's the gospel. God sang, I love you. I forgive you. And why don't you pull up a chair at the table of my people? Let's rediscover the privilege of church. And let's be committed, brothers and sisters, not just to the excitement of a church, but to the vision of the church. Okay, and I've been married now for 41 years. Uh, But I recently said to her, honey, I said, uh, this has been really good. But I just want you to know that I'm in this marriage as long as it's exciting. And, and when it stops being exciting, if it's all right with you, I'll take off. Some of you, it's so funny looking at your faces right now. Some of you ladies, you just can't help it. Your eyes are narrow. And You're fantasizing about assassination right now. You're thinking, you're off your head. Of course I wouldn't say that about a marriage. Of course I wouldn't. But I meet Christians who are like that with their church. They're in it as long as it's exciting and it meets their preferences. And and then, mysteriously, the Lord leads them elsewhere. Am I saying that the Lord will never lead anybody elsewhere? I am not saying that. I just think we need to rediscover the joy and the privilege Of being part of the people of God. The second thing is that these people have have got everyday confident witness. They're talking about Jesus. That's the second sign of a healthy church. Some of them however men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also. Telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And ladies and gentlemen the words that are used here in the text refer to preaching and conversation. So there's preaching happening and they are gossiping the gospel if you like. Now, I don't know what it's like for you um, here, but I'm asking the question around the country at the moment, whatever happened to evangelism? Because when I became a Christian, we were rabid evangelists. You didn't want to sit next to me on a bus. And I turn every conversation around to Jesus. Hello, Jeff, would you like a cheese sandwich? No, thank you, I have the bread of life. (laughs) I wonder what's happened to us. Have we done a pendulum swing away from that, not wanting to be cringy, and we've lost our voices? I'm struggling with my voice tonight. Have we lost our missional evangelistic voices? Are we still talking about Jesus? And I've often heard the quote used, uh, it it was uh, attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, Uh, by all means, preach the gospel if necessary, use words. Well, first of all, that's a distortion of the quote. And secondly, when you give everything you've got away to the poor, you probably don't have to use too many words anyway. The idea was that words are not necessary. And here's what I discovered about myself, and I'm still trying to figure it out. I was like full-on gossiping the gospel in my early years. And then I swung away from that, whereas I'm almost hesitant And I'm trying to get my voice back. I remember remember one time being on an airplane. airplane, I was traveling with an evangelist, which is a dangerous thing to do. And he's sitting on my left and this lady is sitting on my right. And I sensed that this lady, I didn't know her, but I sensed that she was nervous of flying because she was chewing the in-flight magazine. So (laughs) there was a hint. And... um, We're taxiing and the evangelist friend jabbed me in the ribs. He said, the lady next to you is nervous. Why don't you offer to pray for her? I said, I can't do that. That's a bit pushy. Sounds a bit weird. And so we took off. And uh, I could sense that she's really agitated. And then she suddenly screamed. Ah! A bit louder than that, but I haven't got it in me. And uh, my friend jabbed me in the ribs and said, the woman next to you just screamed. I said, oh, no. I said oh, no, it was in my ear. I heard it. He said, why do not you offer to pray for her? I said, I can't offer it. It sounds like a pickup line, doesn't it? It sounds weird. Hello? Can I pray for you? I'm perfectly normal. So then the woman screamed again. Uh, I won't try and do it. And she screamed again, and she grabbed my hand and held on to my hand and wouldn't let go. And I'm British. <laughs> We've not been introduced. And my evangelist friend said, uh, Jabby said, she's holding your hand now. I said, I know you with the brains of a gerbil. It is my hand. He said, well, why don't you offer to pray for us? I said, look, I'm doing my bit. I'm holding her hand. You pray for her. And he leaned over. Why can't evangelists pray quietly? Suddenly we get this deafening roar in the name of Jesus, we speak peace to this woman the entire airplane turned around and looked at me, and I'm like. But what's that about? Is it possible that sometimes these days people need to almost interrogate us to get the gospel out of us? And we were always looking for opportunities to talk about Jesus, as these people were talking about Jesus, everyday confident witness. Thirdly, there was a real, uh, a mature attitude towards suffering. There's something I really want you to see here. Because they, they, they are a suffering people. They'd been scattered, verse 19 says, by the persecution in connection with Stephen. So, many of them had lost everything. But it says in verse 21, the Lord's hand was with them. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So they've lost their homes. And by the way, Dr. Luke tells us that they were first known as Christians in Antioch. And we think, oh, that's really nice. Uh, But actually it was an insult. It was an insult. uh, Because there were some followers of the emperor, fanatical followers of the emperor Nero living in the city. And they were nicknamed the Augustianoi. And so when they wanted to deride the church, they called them the Christianoi or the Christians. In other words, they've lost their homes. They're still being persecuted. But here's what it says, and I really want you to see this. It says the Lord's hand was with them. It doesn't say God had abandoned them. It doesn't say they were being judged. They are suffering, but the Lord's hand is with them. I'm a person who believes that we need to see the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit in the church. And uh, that is true. I'm sure that's true in your conviction too. But if we're going to have the supernatural, everybody, we've got to have a theology of suffering alongside it. We can't just have an embarrassed cough when that tragedy happens or that healing doesn't come. I don't know much about suffering. Um... The worst thing that has ever happened to me in physical terms is I got pneumonia uh, one time and it nearly killed me. I got, it turned into double pneumonia. I was preaching at a conference and I didn't know that I had double pneumonia. And um, uh, my doctor said that I was about 24 hours from, from dying because I wasn't responding to the antibiotics. And I put it on Facebook that I had pneumonia And it was really interesting the way some well-meaning Christians responded on Facebook. I said, I've got pneumonia, please pray for me. One person said, no you haven't. You're not sick. You just think you're sick. And I thought, no, I've just thrown up. I've got the evidence. But um, it was like this, you know, you, you confess your way out of your sickness and it's kind of crazy. Uh, And then another one put in capital letters on Facebook, Satan, we rebuke you, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. I thought, that's intriguing. I didn't even know the devil was on Facebook. And then you could almost imagine Satan sitting around going, oh, capital letters and exclamation marks on Facebook, eh? Didn't see that one coming. It was really all rather strange. And then some of you have heard this stuff. Some people told me I didn't have enough faith. Some of us have heard that stuff, haven't we? Oh, if you had enough faith, you'd be healed. Thanks a lot. I've got a temperature of a hundred and something, and now I'm an unbeliever. Someone else said, uh, "You must have sin in your life." Thanks a lot. Now I'm an unbelieving, sinning, vomiting person. And then someone else said, "Oh, your great, 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 great grandfather must have done something really dodgy, and now you're suffering as a result." I thought, "Excellent. I'll dig him up and slap him." This is ridiculous. <laughs> If we are going to pray with passion, we must have a theology of the supernatural. These people suffered, but the hand of the Lord was upon them. The fourth thing I want to say, just following on from that, is that there was, a real, there was an openness to the Holy Spirit in this church. It says of, um, of Barnabas, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Can I just be a bit personal for a moment? Um, I am doing what I'm doing tonight because of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I, um, you know I became a Christian when I was 17 and three weeks after becoming a Christian I began to feel a calling from God into full-time leadership and ministry. It's ridiculous. I was 17 and I didn't know the the books of the Bible. I didn't know anything about any of it. And... But I just had this sense within me that that's what God wanted me to do I didn't tell anybody except Kay uh, we were dating at that point point. and uh, we went off on a church youth weekend and we had this guest speaker come in and his name was Johnny Barr and Johnny Barr you familiar with him at all Johnny Barr showed up and Johnny had an incredible prophetic ministry and he doesn't know any of us, ladies and gentlemen. And he stood up at the beginning uh, of the weekend and he said, um, he said, great to be here. He said, on my way here, God spoke to me and told me that there are three of you that he's called into full-time ministry. And we all thought, oh, that's interesting. And I remember looking around thinking, I wonder who it is. I thought it's probably that bloke who's sitting on the front row who had his hands raised during the announcements. He's really king. LAUGHTER And I didn't for a moment think it was me because we tend to count ourselves in when it comes to an announcement of judgment and out when it comes to an announcement of blessing. And here's what Johnny Barr said. He said, there's three of you that have been called to ministry. And he said, God told me your first and last names. That's crazy. So I'm sitting there and he said, I'll be chatting with you over the weekend. This will be confirmation." On the Saturday night, I had an experience of the Holy Spirit. Johnny Bar stands up and describes exactly what's happening to me. I'm thinking, this is freaky. So I went up to him after the meeting. I'm 17. I had hair down to here somewhere. Not this shrinking peninsula that you now see. And uh, I didn't introduce myself. I just went up and asked Johnny a question. Just asked. Him. I'm, I, I'm a kid in the youth group. And I've asked him a question and he answered my question and then I turned to walk away and he tapped me on the shoulder. And he said, your name is Jeff Lucas, isn't it? And at that moment I wasn't sure what my name was. And I said, I think it is, yeah. He said, God's called you to preach, son, hasn't he? I said, I think so. He said, well, get on with it then. And I bumped into him again a few weeks later at a conference. I saw him in the street and I ran up to him. I said, Mr. Barr, I said, I don't know whether you remember me. My name's Jeff Lucas. I've I've been looking for you. And he turned around in the street and he said, no, son. No, no, no. I've been looking for you. And he put his hand on my head. And he prophesied all that Kay and I are doing right now. So I utterly believe in the supernatural But here's what happened to me. I'm being really personal this weekend. I was around Pentecostal and charismatic circles long enough to see some silliness. Do you know what I'm talking about? Those people with weird prophecies. They come up and they say, I've got a picture of a yellow jellyfish who is tap dancing on a tin of ambrosia creamed rice. (laughs) Whistling, I'm a Yankee doodle dandy. And then they look into your eyes and they say, does that mean anything to you? (laughs) You think, yeah, call the NHS helpline immediately. And I, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to be really vulnerable here. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to knock a person off their feet, okay? And I've experienced that. But I'm, between me and you, is this being recorded? Yeah. Great. Uh, this is being recorded, so that's good. <laughs> It's really good. If you're listening to this recording and you're mildly offended by any of its content, I, J. John, apologize. (laughs) I've been to those meetings where I was prayed for and I felt the power of the Holy Spirit that swept me off my feet. Between me and you, I've been to a few as well where I'm standing there minding my own business and the bloke comes up to pray and I'm like and there's a catcher waiting for a result 180 I mean I'm not being irreverent to the work of the Holy Spirit I am just being honest about some of the silliness and every now and again I thought the best thing to do is just do a courtesy drop been there you know it's great it's great you take a dive you get a nap they get a result win win baby And here's what happened to me, and um, I want to labour this a little bit. I did a pendulum. I saw so much madness that I kind of became cynical and really closed to genuine prophetic's and the supernatural. And then I had this experience. I'll share with this with you, and then say one other thing, and then we'll 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 pray. Came a couple of years ago. Kay and I watched this TV series on Netflix or somewhere, and, uh, and it starred an actor. And if I said his name, which I won't for pastoral reasons, you would all know the the actor. Um, he's a Hollywood superstar in this in this um, series. And um, we watched the, watched the thing, and it was entertaining. And then we went back to America about six weeks after watching that series. I had a dream one night about him and in my dream he was announcing that a member of the cast of that tv series had died and he was giving a press conference that the cast were really sad at the loss of her i woke up i thought that's kind of weird went back to sleep Dreamed the same dream again woke up thought that's kind of weird went back to sleep (coughs) Dreamed the same dream again woke up went back to sleep and dream the same dream again. So I th- I finally about 3 o'clock in the morning I thought this is crazy. God is up to something here. So I went into my office and prayed and then got on Google. That's a good order of things. Prayer, Google. <laughs> so I put his name in Google to discover that when I was dreaming that that lady had died, she died. She had died an hour earlier. And he was giving a press release announcing his sadness at her passing. So while I was dreaming it, it happened. So I'm sitting there now thinking, what am I, what am I doing with this? I got on his Facebook page and there's 10 million likes and his Twitter page, there's 27 million. And there's me going to contact him on Facebook to say, hello, I had a dream and I'm very normal too. What can I do? Then I remembered that a friend of mine knew this guy before he got famous. I sent an email to my friend. I described the dream and I said, are you still in contact with him? He said, I'm having coffee with him next week. I said, would you share the dream? He came back to me nine days later. He said, I passed the dream on. He used to be a believer. He lost his faith when he got famous. And when I told him the dream, he was speechless. I promised I would never follow it up unless he wanted it followed up you see, suddenly my faith in the authentic supernatural was restored. And I know that you're a people who are open to the Holy Spirit with appropriate leadership and stewardship. That's what healthy church looks like. And who knows what other surprises God might have. Well, the last thing to say is uh, this, because our our time has has gone. And, And that is, um, that there was real welcome and encouragement in this church. Um, Barnabas is so encouraging. Can I, can I just say this as a throwaway? You can really help the culture of your church just by catching people doing something right. You know, our sound guys are sitting at the back there, um, still awake, which is a remarkable miracle because they were in here at 6 o'clock this morning, setting up. Thank you guys for doing that. Truett Cathy said, how do you identify someone who needs encouragement? That's easy. That person is breathing. (laughs) Catching people doing something right. I'm a horrible golfer. I hate golf. I don't have a swing. It's a spasm. I'm useless at it. (laughs) The guy that I work with, Darry, our senior minister, he's great at golf. He's irritatingly great at everything like that. We went out to play golf one day and I took my first shot and I hit the ball straight into a lake. He slapped me on the back. He said, great shot, Lucas. I said, what do you mean great shot? I just hit the ball into the water. He said, Jeff, you just hit the ball. (laughs) Catch people doing something right. You know a way to do that, a very simple thing? When you posture, is it, here I am, or is it, there you are? That simple check can transform you into an encourager. And re- finally, you know, there's, a, there's something buried in here about welcome. Please see this. The church has been scattered and they find themselves in Antioch. Why? Because of the persecution in connection with Stephen. Who's the architect of that persecution? Saul, who became Paul. Years have passed. Paul has spent 10 years in Tarsus, his hidden years. Barnabas is now in Antioch with the people who only ended up there because of that persecutor. And now he comes up with a bright idea of appointing an associate pastor. Who's his associate pastor? It's Saul. Can you imagine that at the church meeting? I'd like to introduce to you a new co-leader. Some of you will perhaps recognize him it's remarkable the level of welcome let me end with this you might find this a little offensive I don't know I'll just risk it we had a guy in our city come to our church he showed up Uh, he had a reputation in the city as a gangster here's the bit you might find a bit offensive He had his life message tattooed on his knuckles. And on uh, this hand it said, off, O-F-F. And on this set of knuckles was another word, beginning with F, and we're not talking Philippians. That was his life message. And by the way, if that does offend you, you'll you'll never put up with messy church. Right? Right? And that's his message. And he came and he sat in the back row. Someone had said to him, you're so horrible, you need to go to church. Which is an interesting missional strategy. (laughs) And he's sitting back there, his body rigid, determined not to be affected. And little Marge Semple, who's with Jesus now, wandered up to this gigantic, intimidating looking man with black eye shadow and tattoos and she went up to him and she said I don't believe we've met <laughs> and he burst into tears because no one had no one had talked to him kindly in recent days and he gave his life to Jesus he's still got those tattoos which was a bit awkward when he started raising his hands in worship <laughs> He decided to have the tattoos removed. No one pressurized him. We took an offering, and the amount of the surgery, the amount of the offering was exactly to the penny. And he stood in the baptismal tank with his hands in plastic, still recovering. And he held up his hands with little Marge sitting there with her face beaming. And he said, now the outside matches the inside. As our worship team come back, that will give everyone hope. (coughs) Remember a 17-year-old lad who walked down a line of people getting handshakes and hugs. That was me. Think of a man who lived with people hating him. That man with those aggressive tattoos, that was him. But we were both transformed by a church that valued welcome. We don't just need welcoming ushers and greeters. We need a welcoming culture where everybody's looking to invite people in from the cold. A healthy church. Let's pray.